invest nothing, by the time you get to 65, if you have some kind of pension, some kind of retirement from Social Security or whatever, it may be enough to pay the bills, but you're going to have a very, very meager lifestyle. In this episode of Getting Money Right, we're continuing our conversation on investing for retirement. And we want to equip you with modern philosophies for investing and show you exactly where to start. This series is going to give you the confidence to go out and make some retirement investing decisions right now, and it's going to teach you what it takes to become a millionaire. Before we dive into some of the topics for this episode, I thought it'd be a good idea for us to do a quick overview of some of the things we touched on last episode. We introduced two foundational principles. Number one, never invest in something you don't understand. You know, if you can't explain the investment to a five-year-old so that they can understand it, you probably don't know enough about it in order to invest wisely. And the second principle, don't put all your eggs in one basket. Diversifying your investments, that is spreading them out across multiple stocks or bonds or uh, sectors of the market, is necessary to prevent losing a big portion of your investment or perhaps all of it. We talked about stocks and how stocks are a portion of a company. And David, you used a great example of a snow cone stand and how as the company grew, as the snow cone stands added and added in value and grew in value, how those that stock became more valuable. But then we talked about the high risk of owning just a single stock in a specific company, that as the company goes up, you can increase in value, but if the company folds, then you could lose everything. We also talked about bonds and how bonds are a fancy IOU, right? It's uh, money that we lend to a corporation or a government or any entity. And these are typically more stable organizations. Like a government is not likely to fold as easily as a company might. Yeah. And if they do go under, then the bondholders, the people who lent them money, are going to be the first ones to get paid out. Right. But the stockholders... Uh, they own the company, so they have to allow the debt to be paid back first before they get any of their original investment back out of the company. And so there's a little bit more safety in the bond. Absolutely. And we also talked about mutual funds. This is a, a, a fund that has been funded mutually by a large number of people, uh, which then buys hundreds of stocks so that they are well diversified. And we talked about the different types of funds. There's large cap, which are $10 billion or more, mid cap, 2 to $10 billion, small cap, 300 million to 2 billion international. Of course, these are non-US stocks and growth mutual funds, which are for growing companies and in value. These are companies that are a bargain to buy. Usually they're they're much uh, smaller entry and it's a good place to, to find value because when you put some money in that kind of stock as these companies increase. If you know, if you would have known that Amazon was going to be Amazon, you, right. bought, oh, of course. you bought it when it was a value stock, then of course uh, you, you'd be in a different position today. Yeah. And people will look back and they'll say, well, Amazon was so obvious. How come How come we didn't do that? And the truth is, you don't know. You don't know if Amazon is going to be the amazing bookseller that sells billions of books, or you don't know if they're going to be some random no-name bookstore that went online and then fizzled out. So there is still risk. And you know, we like to look back and think, oh, if I just started doing Facebook. But when we started Facebook, you know, nobody, nobody thought it was that big of a deal. And, and so it's these little things that they... they caught fire quickly. And if you catch it early, that's great, but it's really good to be broadly diversified in your investments. And that's the key, I think, is if you're broadly diversified, then you're putting your investments across multiple investment options. I remember someone, I don't know if it was you, David, but somebody said that the person took, I don't know what it was, $50 million or 
whatever it was, $5 million, and, and, and bought 50 different stocks in different companies. Yeah. And out of the 50, only one actually did really well. <laughs> were, were, were you the one that told no, me that? No, no, this is a new story for me. Yeah, somebody told me the other day that uh, there was a, and if I told you the name, I, I don't remember who it is, but it's somebody who's made it pretty big. And this person took $5 million that he had, put it across 50 companies, bought stock from each company. And at the end of the investment period, yeah. all 49 failed. Yeah. So he lost all of that money or yeah. basically the, the stock didn't do very well. But that one company, I think it was either Amazon or Google. I can't, can't remember. I'll have to remember the story and try to bring it back. But ultimately, this person struck it rich with one out of 50. Yeah. And that just says and, and really confirms the fact that nobody knows the future. Right. So right. that's why you don't put everything in one. Yeah. That's why you absolutely. don't put all of your money into a cryptocurrency because you don't know if it's going to take off or when it's going to take off. And if you do that, then you really are taking a huge risk. And that's just not wise. Yeah. And a lot of people that we see today that are talking about investing and they're like, oh, you know, you can find the the magic bullet that's going to save your retirement. It's funny because most of them, not everyone, but a lot of them have gone through bankruptcy because they put everything in one place and it didn't work. And they put everything in one place and it didn't work. And then they began to diversify and try five or six companies or 10 or 50, kind of like you said, Leo, and uh, they'll put a lot of money into those companies and one will pay out a hundredfold and it'll make up for the other 50 losses. And, and, and then they'll celebrate how good of an investor they are because they found the one and they're like, you know, you should, you should listen to me because I, I was an original investor in Facebook, but they were also original investor in MySpace, which is gone. And they were also original <laughs> investor in, That's you know, so fill in the blank. What's, what's missing that was there in 2005 you know, 90% of the companies aren't there anymore. But but the 10% that are have projected out really well. And so I think if you're invested over the long term in the American economy, uh, the top 500 companies are a really good bet. And we'll dig into that a little bit too. Yeah. So the last thing we talked about last week was IRA, individual retirement arrangements, and uh, also versus Roth IRA. We actually talked about the difference between those two. And also 401ks, 403b, TSBs, and other things. So um, again, if you have not listened to last week's episode, please go back, listen to that. Hopefully it'll benefit you and this episode will make more sense. Yeah, it'll so, set you up. So let's move on to investing long-term, David, won't you? Yeah, so let's talk about the long-term. Um, I know that jumping into the stock market can be a little bit scary because uh, there is risk. It does go up and it does go down. Uh, but you know, buying your first house can be scary. But most people who own a home uh, over a long period of time begin to realize, okay, homes tend to go up in value over time. You get a lot more comfortable, even though the risk was big up front. It's probably your biggest purchase of your whole life. Well, stocks are kind of the same way. As you begin to learn about it, you understand the market as a whole. You can, you can lower some of that risk and gain a lot more comfort in this area. So mutual funds that are, like you said, Leo, bought by thousands and thousands of people and mutually funding a fund that goes out and then purchases 100 different stocks or 500 different stocks. Uh, these mutual funds, on average, are a great place for long-term investing. And when I say long-term investing, I'm thinking 10 years or more. So we're not going to dig into anything that's less than five years here. But um, in any given time period, the stock market can go up or down in five years. And it can, it can go down 20% in five years. So if you're only going to invest for five years, well, you could lose 20%. You could lose more. You could lose less. You could gain 20% or 50%. The, 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 there is risk. But the longer you have to go, the less risk there is. 
If you look from uh, 1928 to 2010, so 1928 to 2010, that's almost 100 years, the stock market returned an average of 11.31%. An 11% return, that's according to Investopedia. And over the long term, stocks tend to do better than bonds. Since 1926, large stocks have returned an average of 9.8% per year, uh, whereas long-term bonds have returned 5 to 6%. Now, that's from Ibbotson and Associates. So these are two well-known companies that do research and, and, and analysis in this area. And it just shows you 10% is like 9.8 versus 11.31. Over time, I'm just going to say in general, if you look at any given 50 to 100-year period of the stock market, there's about a 9 to 11% increase year over year over year. And that is a great rate of return. We'll get into the rule of 72 in a minute, but it means that your money is going to double just about every seven years. Mm -hmm. And if you have 40 years to invest, your money is going to double multiple times and get you to a great place for retirement. Now, you can't guarantee that what has happened in the past is going to happen in the future. But if I had to invest my money somewhere, I'm thinking that these large companies that have proven themselves over the past 100 years might be a great place to start during the next 100 years. Yeah. Plus, if you think about your options are do nothing <laughs> okay, yeah. or, or take a risk. And that's yeah. what investing is. Investing yeah. is risky, but there's if you add knowledge and education to investing, you're going to remove a lot of the risk out of it, yeah. right? We're going to talk about real estate investing next week and how maintaining some control of what you're doing. And that control doesn't come from the fact that you know the future. It comes from you knowing that what you've invested in, both understanding what is done in the past, understanding the trends, understanding what companies typically do, and seeing that. And, and not you don't put it in there and 40 years later, you check on it. It's something that you adjust consistently, not every month, maybe once a quarter, once every six months or every year, but ultimately, what you're doing is you're you're looking at how much money you're making today. And if you do nothing, you're not going to keep up with inflation. You're not going to be able to have enough in retirement to last you. Nowadays, people live a lot longer than they used to. So if you invest nothing, by the time you get to 65, if you have some kind of pension, some kind of retirement from Social Security or whatever, it may be enough to pay the bills, but you're going to have a very, very meager lifestyle. And if you're used to a much higher lifestyle, that's going to be very difficult for most people. Yeah. So you got to do something. It's better to look at these investments, especially when we're, now we're talking about stocks and bonds and investing in the market, that you do it in a way that is conservative. But yet, again, you're doing something. And if you get a 9% return for doing nothing but putting the money into the market, yeah. that's a really great, great thing. Yeah. And that's the nice thing is that if you can leave it alone for a long period of time and you can get even a seven or an eight or a 9% rate of return without putting in a whole bunch of work and effort, you just let it sit there. That's phenomenal because the amount of times that it will double over your career and before your retirement is going to really set you up nicely. And uh, I, I personally am investing long-term in the market like this. That's where I'm putting my money. I feel very comfortable. And so I've got pretty much all my long-term savings uh, invested across my Roth IRA. So I paid taxes on it already so that I will not have to pay taxes on it when I pull the money out. That's in my Roth. I have a traditional IRA. That's the original IRA that was set up where you pay tax, where you don't pay taxes on it up front, but I will pay taxes on that in the future. And the reason I've got the traditional is because one of the employers I had, they only offered it that way. And so that's the way I did it. I still at least am getting some tax advantage. 
and then uh, my Roth 403B because I work for a nonprofit now. I work at a church, and so I'm in a 403B instead of a 401K, which would be for a corporation. So these tax advantage accounts, that's where I put my money when I'm looking long-term savings. Uh, and then I buy mutual funds and ETFs through them, which are very similar to mutual funds. And we'll cover more on ETFs at a later episode, but that's where I look to put my money. So uh, if the stock market has averaged somewhere between 9 to 11%, according to Investopedia, Ibbotson, and many other sources, then I think it's absolutely possible for the average American to retire with over a million dollars. So Leo, what would that look like for the average American? How would that be walked out? <laughs> well, again, I think it's, it's doable, but I think it's a big target for most people because they don't know, how do I actually get there? How do I, yes, maybe, hopefully I'll get eight, 9%, 7%, but how do I do that? And actually the math works for you. Um, if you think about it from this perspective, uh, the average median household income as of 2012 census was $51,000 per year in the United States. Okay, so if you took 15% of income of that income toward retirement, then you would have about $600 a month that you'd be putting toward that. Okay, that's $7,200 a year. Now you do that for 40 years from age 30 to age 70. How much money do you think you'll have? Yeah, I mean, that, when I look when I think about that, you know, $600 a month. It, it seems like a, a decent amount, but not a crazy amount. And especially if you've kind of gone through the steps we talked about earlier, paying off your debt and beginning to put your emergency fund aside. But age 30 to age 70, it's a long time. What does that look like? I mean, let's imagine what if it was even just an 8% rate of return? What would the turnaround on that be, Leo? So for 8%, you would have a little bit over $2 million. Two million one hundred nine thousand dollars <laughs> So I, not I just a million dollars. Yeah, I think Two could, million. Yeah, you would have pretty pretty good lifestyle going forward, I think, with $2 million. Now, if you yeah. got 9%, you'd be at $2.8 million. Wow. And if you had 10%, you'd be almost at $4 million. Wow. Simply by putting $600 into an account. For And by the way, that's, that's assuming no increase in your wages for 40 years, which is not going to happen. That's just putting $600 a month for 40 years. You will have Anywhere from two to four million dollars, and 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 you won't have to do anything. Yeah, literally, yeah. You, you you just go to work. You continue to write this check. Of course, you have to make sure that you're looking at this investment, and again, diversify it. Make sure that you're spread out and you're not taking huge risks. It's not all in one stock or in in you know three something that's going to earn one or two percent. Obviously, that's going to change. Right. But ultimately, if you just go by those statistics and the fact that the market continues to do well long term. Yeah you're going to be okay. Yeah. So even if you're half wrong at 8%, I'm still a millionaire, which yes. is incredible. And and at 10%, I'm a two millionaire. I mean, yeah. that's it. That's even if you're wrong, half wrong, that's incredible. So, you know, at the end of this episode, we're going to add a few of the very uh, technical things that you look for so that you find that eight, nine, maybe 10% return over the next 30, 40 years. Uh, now we're going to do it based on what's happened over the past 50 to 100 years, but we're going to walk you through those steps. So, um, so wh why does this happen so quickly, Leo? And that and that's kind of this. Oh my goodness! You go from 600 bucks a month to four million. Uh, that's staggering. What is it that does that? Well, um, the idea here is compound interest, and compound interest is where your interest earns interest on itself over time. So let's say that you put in uh, $1,000 and it earns 10% uh, interest. 
Well, at 10% interest, that's going to be $100 that you're getting every year in interest. But then the next year, once you've added that $100 into your investment, now you earn 10% on your $1,000 plus your $100. So now you earn $111 instead of just $100. So you've gone up by an extra $11. Every year, your interest earns interest, earns interest, earns interest. And it takes a little bit of time for it to move quickly. But as the snowball begins to roll... And as you double money over seven years or you double money over 10 years and then it doubles again in 10 years, the amazing part of this is those last 10 to 20 years when your money has doubled from 100000 to 200000 and that doubles to 400000 well, if you can do those last 10 years and it doubles again from 400 to 800 or maybe from a million to 2 million, that's where things really escalate. Now, there are some basic risk management things that you'll need to learn towards at the end of your investing career and as you begin to move into retirement to spread around your investment so that it's not at quite the same level of risk. But if you can just follow these basic principles, you do have a bright future ahead of you. Absolutely. What you're really describing, David, is, and you mentioned this, you were saying that if you can double your money every eight, nine, 10 years. So how do I know that? Well, you mentioned it earlier, the rule of 72. And this is a, a shortcut to estimate the number of years required to double your money so that anybody can figure that out. So mm -hmm. regardless of where you are right now, think about how much money you had set aside. And let's say you have $100,000 set aside in a 401k. And if you use the rule of 72 and you assume, let's say, an 8% interest, so you take the 72 and divide it by 8, and you get 9. Mm -hmm. So that means that every 9 years, right, so 72 divided by 8% interest, you get 9 years. So every 9 years, your money will double. So that means that after 9 years, that uh, $100,000 will be 200000 Yeah. Then in another 9 years, it'll be four hundred. Yeah. yeah. So by the time you get to 25, 30, 30 years or so, 30 to 40 years, you're at 1.6 to two point some million yeah. dollars. Yeah. So that's how it happens. It happens slowly at the beginning, but it's it's exponential growth, right? And and when you have more money that's earning more money, that, that percentage, even though it may not be 20, 30%, like you might see in one particular year, mm -hmm. that's why, because for instance, if we just look at 2017, we had a great year. Yeah. Most, most, uh, most people got somewhere between 25 to 30 some percent wow. increase in their in their in if they kept their money in yeah. a typical mutual fund and in the stock market. However, we may not see that this year. We may not see it two years from now. We don't know what each individual year is, but one year may be in the negative, one year may be hugely in the positive, 30, 40 percent. But overall, what the market shows is that we'll make that 11 percent or so. So this, this rule of 72 is something that anyone can use to just figure out, okay, if I have X amount right now, take that 72, divide by the interest that I hope to earn, which is 8, 9, or let's say 10% at the most, uh, maybe 11%, just depends on how you invest, then you can very quickly do some mental math and figure out how much will I have by the time I turn 70. Yeah. Right? So Yeah, and I'm looking, rule. I like what you're saying, I'm looking at right now some some large mutual funds, and these are mutual funds that are invested in large cap companies. So those are those companies that are 3 billion to 10 billion. So these are giant companies you've heard of, you know, your Walmarts and General Electric and Apple and Microsoft. And, you know, last year, just like you said, they've returned most of these mutual funds. I'm seeing 17%, 18%, 13%, 18%. Now, if I were a mutual fund manager and I ran up to you and said, hey, I can get you 18% on your money, 
it, you'll hear that. You'll hear people say, oh, over the past two years, you know, we've gotten 30% or, you know, in the last five years here, when I look at these same funds, uh, five-year returns, 14%, 14%, 12, 12, 15, 14. That sounds really good. Those are huge percentage returns higher than nine. I mean, that'd be incredible, right? Yes. <laughs> My money's going to double every, you know, four years or five years instead of every eight to nine years. So, so people get excited and they'll say, hey, I found this magical mutual fund that will beat all other mutual funds. But the truth is, that's just how the market's been over the past five years. So you can't look at the last five years and say, oh, it's definitely going to do that in the next five years. But you can broaden that investment horizon out and you can say, okay, how's it done over the past 20 years, over the past 30 years? And that's where we then get into these more even 9% returns, 10% returns, because guess what? If you had started investing in 2007 and you stopped investing in 2009, you could have gone down by 50%. And then you'd think, oh, I'll never invest again. That's a crazy idea. This is foolish. But at the end of 2009, from today, it's had just nine years of straight growth. I mean, there's been a few little bumps, but it's been staggering. So if you got afraid of the market, jumped out and never got back in, you've missed out on doubling and then redoubling your money. And so um, just be aware, we're talking about long-term investing and diversifying across a large range of funds. Now, we talked about mutual funds. Another thing that you would look into are index funds. And so index funds are mutual funds, they're mutually funded, but they're not actively managed by a, by a manager. So with a mutual fund, let's say that you hire me to be your manager, I'm going to go look for large companies, it'd be a large cap mutual fund, I will look for a bunch of large companies to invest in, and when I think one is good, I'll put money there, when I think one is bad, I'll take it out of the mix. An index fund, the word index is basically another word for the word list. It is a list of companies, and that list in an index fund is formulated by uh, typically a computer. It's a list of just maybe your top 500 companies, and the computer looks at that list, and it buys those companies right, right off the list. So you don't have to pay a manager to go and manage all these funds and determine the best and take some out and put some in. It just runs it off the list. So you'll hear about um, the S&P 500. And the S&P 500 is an index or a list of 500 of the largest companies in the United States. And those are companies you've heard of. Like I said, Apple, Microsoft, Exxon, Johnson & Johnson, General Electric. All the list is going to do is a computer is going to see who are those 500 top companies. And it's just going to buy and sell whatever is on that list. Uh, another well-known index fund is the Dow Jones industrial average. You hear about this all the time in the news. Uh, they say the Dow is up or the Dow Jones is up. Well, it's short for the Dow Jones industrial average, and it refers to 30 of the top companies in the United States. And it's been around since 1986. So imagine that there is a list of the top 30 companies in the U.S. And some are going to drop off the list. They won't be in the top 30 forever. But as companies go into the top 30, you just buy right off of that list. Okay, I'm going to buy one of the top 30. I'm going to buy one of the top 30. And if you were to stay invested in that list of funds, that's where you're going to average between 9 to 11%. So you hear news anchors talking about the economy all the time, and they usually refer to index funds like the S&P or like the Dow Jones 
because it shows how top per, how top companies are performing and usually how companies are doing these huge companies if they're doing well it reflects the rest of the country. So if Walmart is doing well, then it means a lot of people going out and buying food, buying groceries, buying clothing, and the country's doing well. It's not a perfect reflection of the economy. Just because Apple's doing well doesn't mean that the rest of the economy is doing well. But when the top 500 companies tend to be going upwards, the overall economy tends to be going upwards. So it's not a perfect reflection, but it is, it's a correlation that a lot of news anchors will make and they'll say, hey, the economy is doing great. The Dow Jones is up 100 points today or the S&P 500 is up 1,000 points, you know, whatever it may be. And 1,000 would be a stretch because I would almost double it. But, you know, it's up 20 points, 30 points. So these index funds are managed mostly by computers and they're very cheap to buy and hold on to because the expenses are so low. Instead of hiring a manager to run the fund, they just let the computer buy automatically based on what's there. And so instead of paying a 1% fee, you might pay a 0.2% fee, like one-fifth of 1%. There's a big difference in the fees in what's called passive investing, where you're not actively managing it. Instead, it's being managed by the computer, and there's not a person behind that. Now, a majority of actively managed mutual funds fail to beat broad indexes like the S&P 500. You know, we know that some hedge fund and mutual managers will beat the overall market. We just don't know which ones it will be. We don't know who will be the next Warren Buffett or Philip Fisher. We don't know who's going to beat the general market. And so this is so interesting to me. I've been researching a lot, you know, into mutual funds that are actively managed versus these passively managed index funds. And this is Warren Buffett, who is one of the greatest investors in the world. He has consistently beat the market himself. He's constantly had huge gains year over year over year across his general career. And this is his advice to use his money when he passes away. So when he dies, hmm. this is going to be his advice to his estate. And he writes this out. He says, my advice to the trustee, in other words, the person managing his trust, couldn't be more simple. Put 10% of the cash into short-term government bonds, so 10% into just bonds, and then the rest, the other 90% into a very low-cost S&P 500 index fund. And then he says, I suggest Vanguard because Vanguard is known for super low fees. He says, I believe that the trust's long-term results from this policy will be superior to those attained by most investors, uh, whether it's pension funds, institutions, or individuals who employ high-fee managers. This is somebody who made a living mm -hmm. doubling, tripling, making money quickly, and growing investments fast. He was great. He beat the market. He's saying that he personally could not choose the next person who will beat the market again. Yep. And a while back, I even heard a story where he put a million dollars out there. And he said, hey, I'll, I'll bet $1 million uh, that if I invest in the S&P 500 for now to 10 years from now, maybe in five years, I think it was 10 years from now, I bet that I'll be any other hedge fund that's willing to bet $1 million. <laughs> and nobody took him up on it until not. a little bit later. <laughs> and then a hedge fund did. They said, hey, we can beat, we can beat the market. I mean, mm -hmm. the market's simple. It's just the top 500 companies, you know. Right. And some people do beat the market. 
So the hedge fund said, we're going to beat them. We're going to beat them. Yep. And guess who ended up winning the bet? Warren Buffett, all the way. <laughs> it, it, the, the index fund that had very low fees beat the actively managed fund. I'm not saying that there aren't managers out there who will beat the regular market, the S&P 500, but I am saying that it's very difficult to know who those people are in advance, so much so that one of the greatest investors of our time, even he said, I, I couldn't do it. I can't pick the next Warren Buffett. Yeah, well, I'm I'm not going to argue with Warren Buffett. He uh, has a little bit more knowledge than I do in the area of investing. But I hope that our listeners uh, really listen to what you just shared, David, that this this data, this information that we have about how the market has done with all its ups and downs and everything that's happened over 100 years that the market has been in existence really is something that we can rely on. There's a certain amount of safety that we have knowing that the trend, the data, is long-term. It's not something that's just happened over the last few years. This is something that's been proven over a long period of time, that when you bet on the American economy, on the companies that make up the uh, the United States of America, the S&P 500, all, even if you buy international stock, all those things, that when you do that, you're buying into the success of these companies. And as these companies become successful, as they sell products, as they make more products, they're going to make a profit, you're going to make a profit, and the whole market is going to shift and move and continue to grow over time. Now, it'll dip from time to time. It'll lose money from time to time. But if you hang in there long term, if you trust that that this vehicle of investing that doesn't cost you any effort other than just separating this money and setting it into an account, into a mutual fund that you can adjust from time to time to make sure you stay well diversified, you're going to be so much better off than doing nothing or taking the money and stick it under a mattress. That's just not an option, folks. You, you're going to need more. Inflation is going to continue to rise. And we just encourage you to take a step in that direction to start looking for uh, low-cost index funds. Vanguard, again, is a great choice. But look around. Even talk with your financial advisor and have them help you to make those decisions. But don't stay out of the game. Get involved. Do something. Invest so that you can secure your future. Well, we want to thank you for joining us for this episode. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd love for you to leave us a five-star rating on iTunes. You can also write us a review, and don't forget to subscribe. You can also share this podcast on your favorite social media platform. You'll find the show notes to this episode and more content and resources at leosabo.com. Thank you for listening. We look forward to having you join us next time so that together we can keep, keep getting, getting money right. right. So mutual funds that are, like you said, Leo, bought by thousands and thousands of people, these mutual funds on average are a great place for long-term investing. Mm -hmm.